returned. The bell or the bug of the ball? The bell of the bug. Oh, okay. It's just all so, so awful. You are welcome. Um, glad to have you back, man. It's been forever. I know. It feels like it. It feels like it. It just it sucks that I lost my fucking cord for my microphone in the move, so... Uh, either I'll find it or I'll be getting a new one. Either way, you it's going to be fucking though. Found that something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna, it's uh, it's gonna be a minute before I can get a new cord here though. Unless I, I'm either gonna find it or have to buy a new one. Either way, it's gonna be, be a couple weeks at least. So, uh, hopefully yeah. I don't sound too too awful. There, there is a, a Walmart weeks. there, right? Hmm. Y'all do have WalMarts. Best Buy. Yeah, I'll be stunned if Walmart has this cord. Best I mean, Buy. Let me let me see where the closest Best Buy is. Let's get into the episode. Why are we talking about this? Because, <laughs> because we not? are now very concerned about your microphone status. Yes, my audio was so janky last episode that we need to correct all of our audio issues in the beginning of episode one hundred and seven. Closest one's like 50 miles away. Closest Best Buy's 50 miles away. I started driving. <laughs> All right, see you guys next episode. <laughs> let's get in the news. Let's right, do it. Remember that time when Urban Meyer was the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Nobody wants to remember that. <laughs> I love I have... how you've gone from being the biggest Urban Meyer fan to just dancing on this man's grave somewhere. This well, started last year when he, and this started last year when he accepted this job. That's what happens when you shit on your own legacy, like he has. You know, used to, I was uh, was really close to getting a, one of his books, getting an autographed copy of his book, and uh, then I realized, oh wait, he sucks now, so didn't do that. What, you guys are telling me there's something wrong with kicking your kicker? I mean, ideally, you wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> but it's but he's the head ball coach. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Apparently. Uh, apparently, ball actually, ball. in the NFL, there's an owner who makes decisions for you and not just uh, you running the show because you won a couple of games, like what happened in college. So, in the <laughs> NFL, he won exactly a couple of games, and the owner didn't like it too that. much. The uh, sad I'm part sure is, that's he the only a... reason he got fired was just his lack of winning games. I'm sure that was the only reason. Yes. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is he has a better head coaching record in the NFL than Hugh Jackson. All I'm saying is that he has a better record against the Dolphins than the Dolphins do against the Jaguars this season. That mm, why him. we're hating on Urban Meyer? Why must you hurt me too? Got to deflect somehow. <laughs> I'm just glad we didn't start the episode off talking about the Bears. <laughs> no, we can't start the episode talking about the Bears when we have this big of Urban Meyer news. Wait a minute, right, I anyway. have a new rumor. I have a new rumor. Urban Meyer to the Bears. There it is. Now we've Oof. come full circle. Oof. That's better than Maggie. <laughs> I don't know what I, you were expecting. I, that. I don't he would know beat the if kicker up for being shitty? Dude. Count me in. He was kicking Josh Lambeau for missing kicks in preseason. Do you imagine what he'd have done to Cody Parkey after the double doink? He'd be a fucking oh, hero in Chicago. Are you kidding me? 
Yeah, like this is a bad thing. Come at your kicker's throat. This city loves him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. I don't know if he's ever gonna get another coaching job anywhere again. At the same time that I say that, you know, uh, Bobby Petrino's coaching again. So <laughs> I guess anything's possible. Um, I think Temple still needs a head coach. <laughs> There's always people looking, man. Right. Oh, man. Um, I'm sure he's hoping one of the networks will hire him again at this point. I don't even know if that's going to happen. Maybe get relegated to, like, NBC Sports or something. (laughs) Maybe Barstool gives him a call. (laughs) Oh, man. I could actually see that. There ain't no way. No, there's no way. Why not? Oh, God. Why am I blanking on that punter's name? Pat McAfee? Yeah. If you're kicking kickers, there's no way Pat McAfee wants you in that in that uh, business tree he's, at all. He's not in Barstool. He hasn't been for thought, a long time. Yeah, I thought he, he still was. Uh-huh. He left like five years ago or something. Yeah, he's doing his own thing. Making moves, making money moves. Getting that FanDuel yeah. money. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is about the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. So, yeah, we need to talk about uh, their interim head coach for a second, Daryl Bevel. Never heard of this man before in my life. Didn't even know he existed as of yesterday. But apparently he was the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars. Don't know how he got the promotion here because the offense has been so bad. You know, Maybe they just don't have anyone else that they think is worthwhile. Which would put some throw some water on the rumor that the GM had Charlie Strong ID'd as a potential kind of maybe interim or maybe even full-time head coach in the future. I don't know. It's interesting that they promoted Daryl Bevel here. You got to do something. It's for four weeks, like whatever. Fair. But at the same time, that's four weeks that you could be developing Trevor Lawrence. But but that's four weeks. I could be getting the number one overall pick. I just need, the, uh, the Lions to somehow stumble into another win. That would be... They don't play the Bears the rest of the season. I don't think it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> they blew those two chances already. We saw we saw the Jets beat the Titans earlier in the season. Anything's possible. <laughs> they, I think they do play the Vikings again, though. So, oh. like, it is possible. Kirk family member lobbing up a couple of INTs, maybe a couple of, uh, all right. All right. Who are our head coaching candidates here, man? Uh, we have a few to go through, um, at least broken into categories to keep them straight. So we have the usual suspects, Eric B and me, Brian Dable. They're going to get talked about a lot for this. Rightfully so. You're going to want an offensive guy, I'm sure, to bring in with your fresh quarterback here. And uh, Just saying, Chicago has an offensive genius right now. A guru, actually, is what he was built as. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to hire Matt Nagy. I think it's, it's going to be somebody Same. else. Same. The option's <laughs> there. Uh, not yet, technically. But... Eric Bieniemy, Brian Dable, yeah, usual suspects. 
Also, thrown out there, I've seen some people speculate that some former head coaches might be in the mix. Jim Caldwell, Marvin Lewis, Doug Peterson, Josh McDaniels. Some interesting names. Uh, Caldwell is a more of a defensive guy. Not sure why you would do that right now. Doug Peterson got kind of run out of town after winning a Super Bowl and then proving that he wasn't really worthy of winning a Super Bowl. And Marvin Lewis is the most interesting one there. He's currently on Arizona State's staff as an offensive assistant. But man, he made the Bengals somewhat relevant for a good while. It might be worth getting somebody boring. <laughs> you know, Marvin Lewis actually makes a lot of sense to me. So the only thing I'm going to bring in here, the, the pick I like a lot is actually later in our conversation. But you said, why would you hire a defensive-minded coach here? Isn't Charlie Strong a defensive-minded coach? So I don't know if they're sold on an offensive-minded head coach here. Well, if they were going to go with a defensive-minded head coach, why wouldn't they just make Charlie Strong the interim head coach anyway? Give him a four-week interview, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, without looking it up, I don't think Charlie Strong's ever done anything in the NFL. He's you know made his name and everything in college level. So, and that stopped the Jaguars that, last year. How? I mean, it should point, stop them. A chance to show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It should, but you know, I mean, um, and it's it's not the first case of an unsuccessful college coach becoming mildly successful in the NFL. We still have Cliff Kingsbury leading Cardinals. I don't know if it's mildly. We'll have to see how this season finishes for him, but the Cardinals are still the best record in the NFL, right? Or at least tied for it. I, I, I'm looking beyond this season when I say mildly. That's It's been improving it's, each season, but right now I'm comfortable saying mildly. It's been like two years. Give him a break. <laughs> uh, some other offensive-minded guys. Kellen Moore could be in the conversation a little bit early. It feels like he's a really young guy, but, you know, certainly has proven to be worth discussing. And Mike McDaniel, after the turnaround the 49ers offense has had this season, giving him the full-time OC job, has proven to be a pretty smart move. He was their run game coordinator, and now as their full offensive coordinator, has done pretty well for himself. So we might get some conversation around him this season as well. The popular one that everyone's going to talk about, the one that makes the most sense, the one that's really fun, and kind of, you know, bring the man home. A little bit of a redemption arc for him. Byron Leftwich is still in state, right across town, won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. Maybe bring him back to Jacksonville. Why not? I would love to see that more than pretty much anybody else on this list. So I like the Byron Leftwich pick here. This would be the guy I kind of target if I am the Jaguars. And not for the instant success billet, but for bringing my fans back into appreciation of the Jaguars. Um, I really like Byron Leftwich here. I think it's a, it's a great fit. But we still don't know what his offensive scheme is because let's be real what they're running in Tampa is a demon love child between Tom Brady's scheme and 
Bruce Arians scheme. Not saying he's not going to be successful. I still love this pickup. I'm just saying we don't really know what we're going to get out of him. That's certainly and fair. At the, at the very worst, too, you know, I'm sure they're going to give Eric well. But at the absolute worst, they at least cover the Rooney rule, which is a stupid thing to even have to talk about. But there's, in my mind, there's zero chance they don't get Byron Leftwich involved. But yeah, some interesting head coaching candidates here. Let's see what happens. I mean, I kind of don't care about the Jaguars, and I certainly don't care about Urban Meyer. So whatever's going to happen to these guys, Jaguars kind of go back to the who gives a shit version of the NFL. The whole black hole of nothingness that is Jacksonville. I mean, that's sounds harsh but fair. Um, (laughs) Let's get out of the NFL. Uh, we have some non-NFL pro news for the first time in several weeks, coinciding with the return of Bugman over here. What do you got for us? So the USFL has a, uh, you know, they've been aligned with Fox and Fox Sports from the beginning to begin with. Uh, but now they're also, they've reached an agreement with NBC Universal and the NBC Sports branch. Uh, And so beginning April of 2022, this first season, uh, they're going to be broadcasting games on NBC Universal as well. That includes the USA Network, NBC itself, Peacock. Uh, Fox is still going to have a majority of the games, but being able to have a couple of them on NBC kind of takes the load off of them. They don't have to be the one-stop shop for all things USFL. And uh, it'll hopefully reach more people this way. I I love this move. I love this deal. Um, we'll see how it plays out if this helps them going forward. Obviously, the NFL is across three other networks, you know, between NBC, ESPN, Fox, and CBS. So for the USFL to be able to reach two of those networks from the start, that's a pretty big deal. And I think it'll pay dividends down the line for them. Absolutely, man. And getting away from ESPN is nice, too. Let's not have all of our sports everywhere be on ESPN, please. Well, they are the worldwide <laughs> leader in sports, remember? Worldwide leader in talking about other things than sports on Sports Center. You know, love it. Love it so much. <laughs> you look like you had something to add. All right. Moving on. Uh, that takes us to right to our college news, and we do have a bunch of college news again. You know, is what it is. I'm not going to apologize for it anymore. We turned into basically a college football podcast at this point. I love it. It's my favorite thing to talk about anyway. It's just that time of year, man. So let's do it. Uh, we're starting with Embry Jones is leaving Florida after their bowl game. He was their starting quarterback all season, and fans didn't like that very much. So... Emory Jones is gone. Um, Kind of a down year for, gosh, really everything to do with the Florida Gators, especially with recruiting, uh, which we just had our early signing day. Actually, it's still technically going on Wednesday through Friday. Um, As we're recording this, it's still going on. On Saturday, when you hear this, the early signing period will be over. But with major schools anymore, that's become like the regular signing period. It's just everybody signs in the early signing window. 
So Florida, they're hoping that's not the case for them because they finished 50th in the nation in the recruiting class. Absolutely wild to me. They were the, like competing for the number one class every year for a few years there, you know, when a certain individual was the head coach at the University of Florida. This somebody who he, is no longer the head coach at Jacksonville? Yeah, he just got fired from the NFL, and Florida's not doing too well either. So. <laughs> Maybe they're going back. Oh, man. Gosh. That'd be terrible for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but, yeah, early signing period's over. All of the top schools have all their guys in. Um, so we kind of know the order of the best classes in the country. Number one's Texas A&M. Number two is Alabama. Number three, Georgia. That already sucks. Uh, number four, Ohio State. Number five, Texas. So interesting to see there. Texas A&M jumping up the board that much. They haven't had a, haven't been in contention for the number one overall class. I don't know ever. It seems like, seems like they're really coming on strong here. Texas as well. Some other interesting ones, you know. Seeing Penn State at number six surprised me. Kentucky all the way up at number 11 surprised me quite a bit. Uh, Cincinnati leading the way for a group of five schools at number 38. But, you know, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU are all headed to the Big 12 here shortly. So the top group of five that's not headed to the Big 12 is Boise State at 54. Um, also, you have FCS Campbell outperforming a bunch of FBS schools. I mean, who has ever considered going to school at Campbell to play football? Apparently, Apparently a couple of people, guys this year. And more people that are, that are considering going to Jackson State, who was behind like three other FCS schools before you got to Jackson State on that list. Yeah, Sam Houston's doing pretty good in recruiting as well for an FCS school right now. But they're going to be making that transition to the FBS. We'd hope they'd be doing okay. Um, yeah, Jackson State making a huge splash. Get the number one overall recruit. Travis Hunter, cornerback slash wide receiver. Gonna, probably going to be playing corner for Jackson State. You know, just, I, to, just to bring this full circle, didn't Travis Hunter flip from Florida? From Florida State. Ah, close man, enough. That, that entire state is struggling right now. Right? <laughs> And there are Florida State fans burning Deion Sanders' merch. <laughs> they are not happy. Hey, you had to but, pay for it and own it in order to be able to burn it. So Deion Sanders is still happy. They want to. They're pushing to unretire his number from FSU, <laughs> which I find hilarious. It's it's all just so beautiful to watch. All right, watch in like two years. They're going to run Norvell out of town, and Deion Sanders coming back, baby. That would not that would surprise funny. me. It would surprise me. He's proving because, that he can be a successful coach. Like He's still struggling, but he's getting the recruits now, right? So going into his, what, third year at this point, next year will be his third season. If he can start putting it together – He's going to make a name for himself. He's going to get, uh, yeah, power five looks. Well, and his son just won the Jerry Rice Award, best freshman in the FCS. So, well, they got and, some pieces. And here's where I'm conflicted on this, because obviously he went to FSU. 
but part of his big thing has been raising the stature and respect for not just the FCS, but specifically HBCUs. I, I don't know. It, it would make sense in one sense because he absolutely is showing that he has the talent to coach not just college football, but coach college football at a high level, potentially even an FBS power five level. But at the same time, you you look at everything that he's been saying, and we've seen coaches lie to fans about their intentions on staying or leaving, for that matter. And you know, who really knows how it's going to play out? But I don't know. I would. It'd be interesting to see him go back to FSU. There's one thing that you're you're not bringing up there, and. I hate to say it, but one of the main reasons I would, because you're making good points about why he wouldn't, but one of the reasons why I could see him actually doing it is there's something that Florida State has a ton of that the HBCUs can't offer, and every man has his price, right? You, you're going to pay me big money to go back to my alma mater and coach and be the face of that school again? I, that's going to be hard to say no to, no matter how good your intentions are at the HBCUs. And then, you know, it's going to come. He's going to leave Florida State for the Atlanta Falcons and then maybe get in a motorcycle wreck, come back to Louisville. Oh, wait, I'm talking about somebody else. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> but I, I'm going to oh, transition man. this year. Doug, you have this story, but I feel like the reason they have the number one overall recruit in the nation this year is worth talking about because it leads into the rest of our NCAA recruiting stories. Yeah. So this has been something I've been sitting on for a few episodes now because Bug hasn't been able to join us, and I wanted to get him in on this conversation as well. But Travis Hunter apparently was all set, squared away, going to Florida State. He was all happy with that until Deion Sanders and Barstool Sports showed up this morning and said, hey, um, if you go to Jackson State, we will give you this check that they then produced, and boom, he's headed to Jackson State. So that's not the way name image likeness was meant to be used, but it's you know, like the Wild West out here, man. NCAA just refused to put any regulations on it, any kind of stipulations at all, and so everybody's making money every way possible, and it's all above board now. It's all legal. Uh, Quinn Ewers transferring out of Ohio State and headed to the Texas Longhorns. I know that's been known for a little while now, but it's not necessarily out in the open is how much money he's making in order to be able to do that. Uh, it was a huge story at the time when he was coming out of high school because of that kombucha deal. He got over a million dollars to peddle some kombucha if he went to Ohio State early. Well, now he said, forget that deal. I can go make 12 to $15 million if I sign with Texas. Wow. Wow. This man has played all of two snaps in college, and they were in garbage time against Michigan State. I would know. I was there. Watched it happen. One of which was a kneel down, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the other was a handoff. So hasn't done anything yet and he's making first round pick money 
to essentially be the Longhorns' first-round pick here. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty brutal. Apparently, some big oil money is headed Texas and Texas A&M's way here. Um, they they just announced they're giving every offensive lineman on University of Texas's roster 50k a year, which is already. I mean, you just hear that. That sounds crazy. But, like, stop and think about that for a second. These guys are already on a full-ride scholarship to be at the University of Texas. Now they're getting 50 k a year to be to just play football. Um, that's more than some of their fellow graduates will make after they graduate. <laughs> and they don't so, have really any bills to speak of right now as so, college students. So while I I really did support name, image, and likeness as a concept, the way this has translated into it's a free-for-all, give everybody all sorts of money and make your school the best possible by paying the best people, it's really kind of gross to me. <laughs> I'm not alone in that. Uh, a lot of people share that sentiment. Lane Kiffin, among them, said he's was really not a fan of this college free agency you just enter your name in the portal, see what the highest bidder is. That really kind of sucks. I hate that. It was one of the big reasons I loved college football more than the NFL is because it wasn't just about the money, at least for most of the kids. And now I don't know how much of that's going to be true anymore. So I want to get so, your guys' thoughts on all this, and I'll just open the floor. So I'll go first here, and I'll, I'll start with Quinn Ewers because I know he was kind of the uh, – he was really the big one that we were – you were kind of holding off on talking about. And it, it's – we've seen how it's kind of evolved and changed so much uh, since then. Uh, but my biggest thing is the, the transfer portal, I think, is another piece that's not really talked about here. Both of those things come in live the transfer portal and, portal and NIL at the same time have created this uh, this vortex of things that college football purists aren't a fan of, and I, I totally get it. But, Doug, we talked about it preseason, about how many five-star quarterbacks were in that Ohio State room. How many five – with Quinn Ewers gone, how many five-star quarterbacks are still in that Ohio State quarterback room? Um. Uh, Zero, technically. Just two okay. four-star guys. But, you know, that wasn't – that's not really the point. Like, I expected well, that's, two guys to leave. But right. the way that they left and the reasons that they left are a lot different. And so I'm okay with Quinn Ewers saying, hey, Ohio State, I'm not going to see the field for a while. C.J. Stroud's obviously got the job on lock. I don't know if I can beat out Kyle McCord for the backup job, so I'm going to go ahead and find somewhere else to go. That's – perfectly okay with me i almost expected it when he signed it's just a matter of he picked texas because they're paying him this much why not go somewhere where you can actually develop your skills why not go somewhere where it's going to be good for you which is the idea and maybe i'm being too idealistic here i don't know so well and i think so it, here's... i think it stings a little more because it's quinn ewers and he was at ohio state but he's also from texas and if you're a kid that plays football in texas playing for the University of Texas is like a dream come true. So That's I, totally fine. 
I'm just saying it doesn't sting more. I almost expect him to leave as soon as he signed. That was kind of a wild deal that I never expected to work out well. I'm, again, I'm okay with him leaving. It's the reason he went where he did that, like, irks me. He, and here's my what it's all turned into for Texas. Go ahead, Tug. I was going to say, so here's my issue with this whole thing. You have a bunch of oil ty- tycoons who happen to be boosters of University of Texas football paying each offensive lineman $50,000 to play there. Notice how I said that. I don't know how oil companies advertise, but generally speaking, I'm not expecting a University of Texas Longhorn, regardless of position, to show up on my TV in a commercial to support that, right? This name, image, and likeness thing is exactly for that name, image, and likeness. Even Travis Hunter getting a check from Barstool Sports annoys me. Now, if you had told me, hey, they showed up with a contract and said, hey, I'm going to offer you this contract if you sign with Jackson State, I still have some issues with that because the whole intent of this rule, the whole intent of this thing, of NIL, is not to give any school the upper hand. That's not how I saw it coming to be, not how I saw it coming to be a thing. I mean, when I was saying, hey, I think Memphis is going to have better luck here because, you know, FedEx can offer any of their players once they're there money. It's now it's. Even the contract is more acceptable to me than showing up with a check and saying, if you sign with them, I'm giving you this check. That is that is pay for play, which is expressly against the rules. Right. Quinn Ewers going to Texas. I'm sure some of that money is NIL. But how how can these boosters legitimately say that it's not pay for play if they were only going to offer him if he went to Texas? That's we're, we're muddying the line here. And it's because the NCAA doesn't have any regulations. I don't blame the kids for doing this at all. I have no issues with the recruits doing this because it's what the rules allow. My issue is that we're sitting here watching this happen, which is the same thing all of the critics of the NIL had said in the first place. The NCAA said this is the exact thing that would happen. And now they're sitting by, watching it happen, letting it happen. So inevitably they can strike down NIL altogether and say, look, we tried it. I don't know if there's any putting the cat back in the bag either. No, I mean, there's not. And I, I frankly don't really give a shit at this point because I wasn't a huge fan of the players getting paid to begin with because I understand that you don't have a lot of money in your bank account. But I know these kids, especially at some of these bigger schools, and even some smaller schools for that matter, they have access to world-class facilities, and that's really – you go on down the line, everybody is trying to upgrade their facilities, whether it's just the weight room, the locker room, whatever. You have access to that that other students don't. You're getting meals catered that other students don't have access to as well. I understand a lot of it, but the the thing is, when the NCAA makes paying your players worse than some of the other things we've seen schools get away with, like Baylor, like Penn State, when they make that the worst possible thing, I don't mind that the NCAA is getting egg on their face with this because you're right. This, the boosters going out and saying, hey, you go to school here, we'll give you $10 million. That's not what this was designed for. This was designed for if a kid's playing and goes and makes a Twitch account and wants to make money doing Twitch, he can because the NCAA wouldn't let him before because they owned his name, image, name, image, and likeness. 
and that's not what that you know that's not what this intent ever was. That's not what the intent of the NFL ever. But at the end of the day, I don't care. I really don't. You know, if these this is what the NCAA has brought on themselves because they were so hard the other way that when they opened it up and said, okay, well, you know what, we're not going to have any restrictions. That's their own fault. It, you know, and I doubt that there's literally zero restrictions. There has to be something in there against some of what's going on. So when they get the balls to actually stand up and enforce it, maybe they will, but it sure as hell isn't going to be against Texas or Texas A&M. It's not going to be an SEC or future SEC team or any blue blood, blue blood program. And the other issue is like what happened with Jackson state. They can't really go after them because they're immediately going to point, Hey, look at what Texas is doing. Look at what Texas A&M is doing. We're not going to follow your sanctions. Fuck you. It, it just gets me because there are players out there who are doing it right. Doug, he's, he's your favorite quarterback. Uh, who is also in the transfer portal right now that I, I think is a perfect example of who does this right. Cameron Ward has taken the NIL, has turned around, set up his own website, set up his own, really, he's got an agency behind him now running it, and he sells merch off of it. He shows his highlights. Like like you said, Ben, that's what this was intended for. I'm all for that. It's just, when you start going, hey, Quinn, I, I've got 12 to 15 million in booster money that if you, you know, show up and come to school here, you've got it. Like, what's now to stop Oregon and Nike from offering what? Half a billion dollars to random players now because Nike has that much money to throw around? Like, that's, that's what gets me. And at least Nike has can use the player in commercials at that point. I, that is even more acceptable than oil ty- tycoons going, Hey, dude, we'll give you $50,000 to play at Texas. We're never going to use you in advertising, but we have your name, image, and likeness rights now. And it, like, that that's the stuff that kills me. The official oil of yeah, left right? tackle of the <laughs> Texas Longhorns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the official <laughs> left tackle of Exxon Mobil. Yeah, golly. Yeah, uh, I get what you're saying, Bug. And it kind of is true that they brought this on themselves. At the same time, I just wish that somebody would care enough to do something. Because um, I'm not in a position to be able to do anything about it. And it hurts to see college football getting ripped up like this, just in a very public way. Um, well, and, you know, frankly, I think another thing that's allowed this is – uh, the fact that the NFL has stifled any other pro league pretty right. much ever. So you're left with the NCAA being their, uh, their farm system, for lack of a better term. And if, you're, if that's how the NCAA is going to be used, especially when it relates to football, like, don't get me wrong, any volleyball player, basketball player, whatever, they can go do this too. But the thing is, there's plenty of leagues, basketball leagues all over Europe that guys play in. The NBA doesn't stifle, not to mention the G League here in the States. And then, you know, I don't, I can't speak to any other, like, you know, especially women's sports, other smaller pro, uh, pro leagues. But, you know, not to the degree that football is, NCAA football is used as a farm system for the NFL. Well, I, if you it's look all at just kind of. I was going to say, all if you com- look at every- <laughs> it's all coming down on itself. 
and just to kind of further your point, Ben, if you look at every other major pro sports league in the U.S., they all have feeder leagues now. Hockey has the AHL. The MLB has the entire farm system. I can't even run down how many leagues there are there. Even the uh, MLS now has the USSL, right? Like, those are all feeder leagues into their premier league, and the NFL doesn't have that right now, and it's because of exactly what you're saying. They are shutting them down every chance they get. Well, there's no reason to have that because they've created a system where you have to be three years out of high school in order to be draft eligible. And why would you try to compete with college football right now? Why would you, as the NFL, why would you establish something to be, compete with the most one of the most profitable entities in the country? I mean, be, be, popularity they for don't sports need to goes profitable. NFL, college football, and then other sports. Because you don't need it to be excessively profitable. None of those, like, TV contracts for AAA baseball teams is minimal, right? TV contracts for the AHL, minimal. Those are pure development leagues. That's what they're designed as. So maybe, for once, take your greedy-ass self and say, hey, hold on a second. Let me have this feeder league to eventually put a better product on the field in the long term, thus increasing long-term profits. That's the difference between using college, which is already profitable, I get it, and that can still be a primary way of getting players into the league. But there's also something to be said with having, you know, the NFL Europe. It might not have been successful or as successful as they wanted, but Kurt Warner was pretty successful out of it, right? He needed a couple extra years out of college before he was ready for the NFL. And it worked. Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, but I don't think there's any realistic shot. The NFL owner's going to pony up some cash when it is working. I, right I agree. For I'm just... Not to. So, just brutal. <laughs> Imagine how good Oklahoma State would have been if T. Boone Pickens were still around. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> Wouldn't be from building windmills, though, that's for sure. He already poured all of his money into that school. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was about as good of a conversation as I had hoped for. So, thank you for joining, Bug. Glad to have you on. Um, does make me sad but I know something that will brighten my day because uh, our next segment here we're going to go ahead and jump into the end of college season awards now I know it's not the end of bowl season yet we have several games to go and we're going to be picking all of the bowl games but the NCAA does it like two weeks before us we at least have the decency to wait until after the Army-Navy game. I mean, come on. So, (laughs) without further ado, the categories are roughly the same as last year. We did add one. I don't think we had a Defensive Player of the Year award last year. So, we had to remedy that situation. We are going to have Coach of the Year, Quarterback of the Year, Non-Quarterback Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive and defensive lines of the year. Uh, so same as last year, again, we're going to each have a nominee, and then we'll have a little bit of discussion and vote on our winner. Are you guys ready to go? Let's do it. Yeah. I guess we'll start off with coach of the year. You want me? You want to just go have me go in order and just go from there? 
Yeah, to take it to start, Ben, I'll go second. Okay. All right. So, I'm going with Luke. Uh, I feel like this is probably the most obvious pick of this list. The only coach to lead his team to two back to back to back undefeated regular seasons here. And I don't know. I just. I got to think that what he's been able to do with this program and the success that he's had played a bigger role into them getting into the Big 12 than a lot of other factors. Like, I'm sure, you know, we talk about it all the time. I'm sure money played into it. But the success that he's had with this program, that absolutely, it's invaluable. And it's got them in a position where they're the first group of five team in the college football playoff. To me, it's a no brainer uh, to at least nominate him for coach of the year. I think he might be uh, as close to a lock for winning this thing as as you can think of. All right, I'm I'm going to come in, and honestly, my argument would have been a lot better if the uh, conference championship week hadn't gone the way that it did. I'm going with Mike Gundy out of Oklahoma State. Yes, they lost the Big 12 championship, but here's the thing: he went 11 and two, including that conference championship game on the season with a bunch of players that honestly. I can't even pick a pure first-round talent out of Oklahoma State, right? Just a pure blue-blood hard-fighting team out there. And yes, the offense fell apart in the Big 12 championship game due to interceptions. But when you look at it, man, head coach responsible for the entire team. That defense was able to still keep the game close and give them a chance at winning that game. They probably should have in the end. They didn't. Coaches can't control interceptions. What they can't control is the game plans. Clear, it was very clear to me that throughout the entire season, Mike Gundy had a solid game plan in and out every week for every game of the season. My nominee is... I'm going to confuse the crap out of you guys. It's not the guy I've written down here. Uh, My nominee for Coach of the Year is Kyle Whittingham out of Utah. Now, understandably, you will be shocked at that because didn't he lose three games? That doesn't sound like a good coach of the year candidate. Um, Yeah, he started the season one and four and won the Pac-12. Okay, what does that say about a head coach? The ability to turn a team around, to lift their spirits after they were expected to compete in the Pac-12 South, and they have as bad of a first month as you can possibly imagine. Charlie Brewer transferred to Utah with dreams of taking them to a Rose Bowl game, and he loses three games and quits football altogether. And Kyle Whittingham says, hey, we're gonna, we still have a freshman in here. We can make this work. I know how to change this about our offense. Slide him in there, and we can be successful. And then come out and dominate two different times against the other good team in your conference. I mean, come on. That's that's really impressive what he was able to do at Utah. To win the Pac-12 after the start that they had is it's coach of the year consideration worthy. All right, boys, it's time for the vote. Ben, I'm assuming you're sticking with Blue Trickle. I am, but I do want to say I I respect what you're trying to do here, Doug. I would argue <laughs> a better coach wouldn't let his team lose four games. And 
I, I'm not even going to say a better coach would keep somebody from quitting midseason. When you make up your mind like that as a player, if I'm the coach, I'd rather you quit anyway. Right. Because I'm not going to, like, at that point, I can't change your mind. There's no point in me trying to change it, really. It's an, it's an uphill battle. I'm not going to win. So I respect what you're trying to do there. I appreciate the Kyle Whittingham nomination. But, I, yeah, I'm sticking with Luke Fickle. And I will say I appreciate the Mike Gundy nomination, but he lost the Big 12 title game. He I, lost the most important game of the year. So kind the, of brutal. The whole reason – the whole reason I went second was because I was expecting you to come in and say, yeah, but my guy won it because you had Dave Aranda in there as our, we'll right. call him an, our honorable mention nominee here. Um, so I was expecting that, but no, Ben, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is an absolute no brainer to me. I just want to bring in somebody that would create a good conversation, highlight some of the good things at Oklahoma state this year. Um, so I'm going Luke fickle as well. Yeah. At the end of this, I'm probably voting Luke fickle myself. You know, <laughs> what a year for Cincinnati. Well, let's go ahead and jump to our quarterback of the year award. I think I want to start us out on this one. I have a little bit of a wild card here. So Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. You have the wild card? Um, well, I, I think so. I think I have something of a wild card here. Um, except this guy led all of the FBS in passing yards and passing touchdowns. So, you know. Pretty fantastic. 69% completions. Nice. 5,545 yards. 56 touchdowns on 11 picks. He was the entirety of that Western Kentucky offense. Now, I know they didn't win a whole lot of games with that system. You can't blame it on a guy who scores 40 points a game. you got to blame some of that on the defense who allows 45. So, <laughs> this is really brutal. That Bailey Zappi couldn't pull out some more wins here. But it sure wasn't for lack of effort, and it sure wasn't for lack of ability either. He's already getting some talk. as He's moving up draft boards right now as people are starting to realize what this guy did out of Western Kentucky. Look, he's going to Miami. He's a Western Kentucky quarterback. He's going to Miami in, like, the sixth round. Maybe the fifth or the fourth. Oh, so we're moving on from Tua now too, huh? <laughs> no. No, it's just Miami has this thing with drafting Western Kentucky quarterbacks. Sounds like you're moving. Absolutely. I, not after I've seen his stats for his first season. Now nah, I'm good. Uh, I will go last because I also have a wild card that I don't honestly want to give that much consideration to. I just like him more than making him an honorable mention. So uh, go ahead, Tug. Cool. cool. I'm taking the low-hanging fruit here. I'm going CJ. Stroud, uh, quarterback out of Ohio State. All right, Doug, you highlighted that Bailey Zappi led the league in passing yards and touchdowns. I hope that would happen when you lead the league in attempts as well. Um, C.J. Stroud coming in with 71%. I'll round up to 0.1 to give him 71% completion uh, percentage. 3,862 yards, 38 scores. Five interceptions with an 89.8 quarterback rating. Everything across the board here is pushing top five in the country um, on every stat line. Absolutely love this. Uh, loved watching him play this year. And, hey, he also only had two snaps prior to this season in which he threw absolutely zero passes. So I, I'm okay going with C.J. Stroud here. Uh, I could go Bryce Young, but I'm not planning on uh, highlighting the Maxwell and Heisman winner yet again. 
All right, fair enough. So you thought you had a wild card here, Doug, going with Bailey Zappi. I'm going with Seth Hennigan for a couple of reasons. So if you don't know, quarterback at Memphis. And honestly, the the biggest thing, one of the biggest things to me, it's not really his numbers. They're not super impressive. He has the worst of the three by far. 59, we'll call it 60% completion, 3,322 yards, and 25 touchdowns, 8 INTs. As a true freshman who was like third or fourth on the depth chart, I don't know that Grant Gannell, who transferred from Arizona, even has a shot of playing at Memphis next year after the performance Seth Hennigan put up. Because for most of the season, including missing a game, Hennigan was second in the American Athletic Conference as far as quarterback ratings go. Right. The only guy ahead of him was SMU. I can't names escape me right now, but he was even ahead of Desmond Ritter. Right. Add to it that one game that he did miss, the offense looked horrible. Memphis wasn't able to move the ball. They weren't able to do anything on offense. Just really inefficient. Yes, he was a true freshman. Yes, his numbers are not as impressive as the other two guys that we mentioned here. And he absolutely has to get better uh, to really ever get real consideration, not just by us, but for any award here uh, in the NCAA. Okay, fuck you. I'm done. You could have at least gone like Cole Kelly or something. Made it fun. So you take this dude who has like no stats. I mean, all right. That's fine. Um, I'm voting Bailey Zappi. Fuck you guys. Ben, which way are you going with this? I'm also going to vote for Bailey Zappi. He's got the numbers there. Oh, and yeah, shit. he had way more uh, attempts, but. And these are these are unreal number numbers even in college football. Can you... I mean, I, I yeah, I I don't know what I can say. To me, the numbers speak for themselves. I don't. I I see what you guys are saying with the yards. You say it's unheard of, unseen before, but we just watched Joe Burrow put them up not two seasons ago. But hey, okay. I mean, that is true. Um, but also argue that Bailey Zappi got no attention because he went to Western Kentucky instead of going to a Power Five school. That that's also why he threw so much though is because they were in a negative game script all the time. Yeah, that's not necessarily on him, but I mean, if you're up sixty-two to fucking nothing, you're not going to sit there and throw the ball the entire time. Here's a legitimate argument. Um, C.J. Stroud did not legitimately did not play well for the first three, four games of the season. And when your season is only 12 games long, it really does matter. You've had some sensational performances down the stretch, but two fantastic games does not make up for four bad games and then a couple of pretty good games. Bailey Zappi was consistent all the way through the season, consistently pretty awesome all the way through the season. You can talk about negative game script and all this all you want to, but when you still got a completion percentage, when you've got one of the highest completion percentage, that kind of goes out the window. The fact that he had more attempts anyway, he's still completing more attempts than anybody too. CJ Stroud has a higher completion percentage, but all right, Bailey's happy with this one. I, we'll move it's on really to close. Not <laughs> I mean, I can't believe it. I'm, 
I almost just voted for him because I feel bad voting for Ohio State guy. But, you know, I'll take it. Bailey Zappi is our quarterback of the year. Uh, Non-quarterback, offensive player of the year. Tug, why don't you go first this time? Cool. I am going with one of the most electric players that I have seen uh, at the receiver position. I'm going wide receiver on this one. He also happens to play for our podcast's favorite team. I'm going with Traylon Burks, uh, the wide receiver out of Arkansas. Uh, 66 receptions for 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns. Basically, every sixth time he touched the ball, he scored a touchdown. And a lot of them were electrifying big play touchdowns off short screen passes. Absolutely insane. The big playability's nuts. Loved watching him. Honestly, love watching him play all year. Uh, I, I'm going Traylon Burks on this is my nominee. Uh, before I pass off to one of you guys, Ben, I'm going to give you a shout out. I do think there was a Memphis player worth bringing in as an honorable mention uh, to the non-QB Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, I'm I'm going with Calvin Austin the third as my honorable mention here as well. Certainly a fun player to watch. I'll give you that. Me and Doug are both going with uh, running backs here, but I'll go first. I've got Sincere McCormick running back out of UTSA. Average five yards of carry, ran for just under 1,500 yards at 1,479. 15 touchdowns, zero fumbles. And he really was the heart and soul of Mr. Oldrunner's offense. When you have zero fumbles, you're a guy that reliable at that position. Doug, your guy also had zero fumbles running back position as well but man that is that is such a game changer and the success UTSA had this season is in no small part due to the play of Sincere McCormick. Absolutely agree I will also say the success that Michigan State had is in no small part due to Kenneth Walker III who is my nominee. Um, Whole extra yard per carry there six yards per carry for Kenneth Walker the third, more we got all those in that game against Michigan. Two hundred more yards, uh, sixteen hundred thirty-six yards, and three more touchdowns. Eighteen on the year, still with zero fumbles. So the stats go with Kenneth Walker on that conversation. I would say both of them had an equal impact on their team, though, and both of them had very successful seasons. Pretty, pretty great to see these running backs being this successful. But toss it back to Tug. Who's your who are you voting for? So when I look at this, one of the things that you guys are bringing up is they both had fantastic um, impacts on their teams. I would argue that Traylon Burks was as well. The difference with a running back versus a wide receiver here is a wide receiver really does get limited touches uh, because there's generally speaking four or five other guys in the field that can catch the football. Running backs usually, especially when they're this level. You give it to one of them. I'm going to look at the guy who made the most of the touches he was giving. Scoring every sixth time you touch the football is absolutely nuts. I'm going to stick with with Traylon Burks. I don't know if that's repeatable, and that's kind of why I'm leaning that way, is because he, like I said, every sixth time he touched the ball, that it, it was six, and that's, I can't even fathom doing that again. And I hear you, 66 divided by 11 does give you six. At the same time, 18 touchdowns is more than 11. On how many carries? Several. 
He had multiple carries this season. <laughs> I feel like we don't give running backs enough love. I've got to tell you, watching that Michigan-Michigan State game, seeing I mean, that what game alone, you were about to give him the Heisman Trophy after that game alone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and if he would have done literally anything other than what he did against Ohio State, he probably does win the Heisman. I'm I'm gonna go with Kenneth Walker the third. I gotta say, Tug, man, I I did I was impressed by Traylon Burks, but he was not the best receiver in the country this year. And if you're not the best receiver in the country, you're not the best non quarterback offensive player of the year. I mean, if you're going with that argument, then how do we go with Bailey Zappi, who wasn't the best quarterback in the nation? I mean, none of the ones we highlighted were, but I mean, statistically, yards, touchdowns, Bailey Zappi was the best quarterback in the country. I don't know. I'm going with Kenneth Walker the third, man. <laughs> Do you have a real problem with that? Are you good with it? I mean, if, you, if you're, like, majorly against it, I think we can have a No, 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 I'm not majorly against it. Like I said, okay. I'm sticking with Traylon Burks because I genuinely, genuinely do feel like he needs to be highlighted in that sense. All right, all right. Uh, that does take us to our defensive player of the year. And who wants to start us out? I'll do it so you can get mad early. Going with Aiden Hutchinson, defensive head out of Michigan. 14 sacks, 15 and a half tackles for loss, 58 total, and two forced fumbles. Now, he's the closest D-man to, closest D-man to winning the Heisman in several uh, obviously, Chase Young finished third two years ago, but again, COVID and everything, I've said this a few times, that feels like it might as well have been 15 years ago at this point. But the thing is, when you're that efficient, and I do think Chase Young probably was just flat out won the Heisman, had the NCAA not fucked him for, oh yeah, receiving money. Uh, I think he probably would have won the Heisman, and if Bryce Young went to any other school than Alabama, I think Aiden Hutchinson probably wins the Heisman this year. So, man, those last few games of the season that Alabama had and those comeback, comeback against Auburn really killed Aiden Hutchinson there. I I don't know, man. I think he's absolutely the best defensive player in the, in the country this year. I mean, okay. We had 14 sacks. That's great. Will Anderson out of Alabama had 15 and a half. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson had 15 and a half tackles for loss. Will Anderson had 29. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, congratulations on your 58 total tackles. Will Anderson had 91. He didn't have the forced fumbles, but he had some passes defended, which is something Aiden Hutchinson can't say. I mean, my goodness, Will Anderson was a better statistical player. I know it's a different position, technically. A stand-up edge rusher versus a hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher. At the same time, they performed the same function, and Will Anderson did it better. I don't understand why Will Anderson wasn't given any consideration for the Heisman when Aiden Hutchinson was, though I get he had his best games and the biggest, you know, the brightest lights he shined. So I kind of understand it, I guess. Yeah, he sacked C.J. Stroud three times. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Will Anderson still beat you. On every category. So I I have a I have a player here who has 
all of the stats we want to talk about. Um, 13 solo t- uh, sacks, three assisted sacks. Uh, the NCAA has those split out, but that totals up for 14 and a half, um, according to the NCAA's website. 18 tackles for, for loss, four forced fumbles, and one interception. Oh, and this dude plays for Army. It's Andre Carter II. It's not really that common that we get to highlight a player in this light from Army, but the man's in the top three for sacks on the season. And and all these other stats, man, they all deserve to be highlighted. Oh, and he plays much the same position that Will Anderson plays. I will say again, Will Anderson had better stats playing the same position. <laughs> will Anderson had more tackles, but... I'll take the four force fumbles and one interception over two passes defense. I mean, yeah, I'll take four force fumbles as well, but did he recover any of them? Apparently not. Or you would have written that down. I, I actually didn't look at fumble recoveries. Who are you voting for, Buck? If it's Aiden Hutchinson, we're going to have to end the call. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So you guys both suck with your guy, huh? Well, know. you're voting first. I'm voting first? Yeah. Ooh. I don't want to end the call, but I also don't want to not vote for Aiden Hutchinson. It's a very, very precarious position you put me here. All right, so Tug, who are you voting for? <laughs> Man, I really like Andre Carter. I was hoping I could flip one of you guys. I don't know if I can. Okay, um, Andre Carter it is. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Dear Lord. Brutal. Will Anderson snubbed again. All because Bug wants to be a little troll shit. Who said anything about being a troll? This is genuinely how I feel. <laughs> Alright, hold on. Genuinely before, smell like a sack of shit. Before we do that, Doug, I might have to highlight one thing. I don't know how many of those fumbles Army recovered because Andre Carter did not recover any of them. I don't care. That's... Andre Carter wins Defense Player of the Year. All right. Go Army. Beat Navy. Sink Navy. <laughs> God damn it. Sink Navy. <laughs> That's Air Force's thing. Army's thing I... is Beat Navy. Hi, I don't know if you know this. Ben is also in the Air Force. I am aware. And yet, he's saying Beat Navy because he's talking about an Army guy. So, <laughs> let's move on. Gosh. Terrible. We should never have had a Defense Player of the Year award. Um, let's, so talk, let's talk offensive lines uh, Offensive line of the year I'll go uh, first on this one Yeah, I think it's Tug's turn What do you got for us, man? Alright, guys It's going to look really bad when I tell you that they're second in the nation in sacks allowed um, Behind Army But still ahead of that team up north So it's not really sounding good But here's the thing Air Force led the nation in rushing a significant by a significant margin. Uh, so Air Force rushed the ball for 4,090 yards, averaging 5.25 carry. The next closest in total yards was Army with 3,437. That's actually an insane stat, and it doesn't happen without this offensive line performing. You know, while they're undersized, all these other things. You still need the offensive line, especially when most of your plays are fullback dive up the middle, which is mostly what Air Force does. Um, I, it's not going to have the passing stats that these other two teams have, uh, 
but goddamn, does it have the rushing stats. I guess I'll go next because I have the other really one-sided line here. So Western Kentucky had the number one pass offense in the nation, number two offense in the nation, and they were – it really didn't allow many sacks. 1.23 sacks per game. That is really impressive when you're the number one passing offense because, you know, everybody and their mother wants to come and sack Bailey Zappi, and this offensive line didn't allow it all that often. Uh, compare that to who had the number two passing offense in the country. Oh, Virginia? How many sacks did they allow per game? Three sacks per game. So a similar, similarly efficient passing offense normally allows triple the sacks that Western Kentucky let up. That's amazing. Now, I will say they didn't run the ball very much. At the same time, you have to be impressed when your offensive line is able to perform at this level and do what they're expected to do. So I'm going to also take this time to make a big argument against Air Force here. Um, uh, before you do, can I make one correction to what I had said? Okay. All right, Air Force did not come second in the nation in sacks allowed. I misread the stat line. They were second overall in sacks allowed, and what that means is they only allowed .75 sacks per game. Okay. Sorry, that's fine. I just had to make that correction. <clears throat> but I'm going to say, in the NFL, what you're looking for, yards per carry, is about four. Over four yards per carry is like a good number. In college, you're really looking for about five and above. So the best we can really credit this offensive line with is about 0.25 yards per carry. And if you have a solid running back in college, you're almost expecting him to get five yards a carry. Just the way college football works. I don't know if we can give best offensive line to a 0.25 yard per carry line. Hold on one second. I'm looking at something. Ben, you can go with yours while I look this up to counter Doug's point. Okay. So I'm going with Ohio State. And the reason I'm going with Ohio State, because you have a freshman running back, Travion Henderson, who has an amazing season. At one point, he was also kind of being thrown around as a possible Heisman candidate. Then you also had C.J. Stroud in his first season as a starter, having an amazing season, his name being in Heisman contention all the way up to the very end. That doesn't happen without an amazing offensive line. And this offense wasn't really the issue all year until the very end, unfortunately. It was more on the defense where they were having issues, and this offense was able to something that maybe they otherwise should have lost. I'm going with Ohio State here. Okay, Doug, for my counterpoint to your counterpunch here, uh, Air Force was 17th in the nation in yards per carry this year. They also run the ball 95% of the time. That's what yards per rush kind of caveats. It brings you back to an average. Kind of fair, I guess, but at the same time, I'm not that impressed. So... I guess I'm going to vote for Ohio State. <laughs> That's fine. I was planning on voting for Ohio State, too. I wanted to highlight something because I thought the winner was already chosen. Uh, 
in there, so I want to highlight somebody for for some other reasons. Okay, fair enough. Ohio State's offensive line of the year. That's pretty cool. Uh, defensive line of the year is up next. I think it's my turn to go first. So I'm going to start us off with Oklahoma State. Uh, number five in rush D for Oklahoma State. That's pretty impressive. Number one in sacks. Number one in tackles for loss. Number two in third down conversion percentage. And number five in fourth down conversion percentage. That front was solid all year long. And when we talked about Oklahoma State's defense on this podcast, we most frequently talked about their safeties, how good the defensive back room is. This was an incredible performance by this whole front seven, and the defensive line in particular just has some really solid stats showing they ought to be in consideration for this at the very least. I hate you because you beat me in pretty much every statistical category that really matters for defense. Uh, Pitt was number two in total sacks, number six in rush defense, number five in team tackles for loss. I'm going to go behind Pitt in my nomination here. Um, But yeah, I think Oklahoma State has them statistically. I didn't write down the stats because if you watch Georgia play this year, I think you'll understand why I took them. Uh, To that end, I will also say... I fully support the conspiracy that Georgia threw the SEC championship game to get two SEC teams into the college football playoff. Uh, and that's my position on it because you don't have that good of a defense and then randomly just decide to not play defense anymore. And I think they have the best defensive line in the country this year. And I think the best defensive line in the country was Oklahoma State. Georgia's defense was good all around. Not that Oklahoma State's wasn't also good all around, but Georgia didn't necessarily need to rely on their defensive line to get that unit going. I think Oklahoma State did after watching those games. I'm I'm fine going Oklahoma State on this one. Number one in sacks is a hard number one in sacks, number one in TFL is a hard one to beat. I like it. Big fan. Big fan of Oklahoma State's defense winning that award because we got their defensive coordinator now. So, very happy. <laughs> that does it for the second annual Big Dudes in the Trenches College Football Season Awards. Coach of the Year, Luke Fickle. Quarterback of the Year, Bailey Zappi. Offensive Player of the Year, Kenneth Walker III. Defensive Player of the Year, Andre Carter II. Offensive Line of the Year is... Ohio State and defensive line of the year is Oklahoma State. I think that I mentioned this before. In case that I didn't, we're picking every bowl game this season. Why? Because last year we were very close to not having any bowl games ever again. And so, you know, even if it's some of it's crappy football, we're just happy that football exists. And you know what? Some of these guys, this is the last college football game they ever get to play. Why not let them go out in style with a swag bag and some goodies from, you know, the Idaho Potato Bowl or, or a free trip to Hawaii? Right? I mean, that's that's pretty great. Or the Bahamas, like the game that we already picked. So that is happening on Friday night. We are recording this on Thursday, so it's almost like, well, why didn't we just pick it today? You're going to hear this episode on Saturday. The game will already happen. So we already made those picks, right? Bug went with MTSU. Tug and I went with Toledo. 
but we have a whole bunch of other games happening Saturday through Tuesday, and then Wednesday's show, we will have some more picks for you to get you through until Saturday. You know, we're going to have to keep going like that for a couple of weeks. So we have a whole bunch of games to get through here, and we're going to keep it relatively brief. I'm not going to say too, too much about each of these, but if you guys have anything to add for any of them, certainly feel free. I say let's go ahead and get started with the only FCS bowl game in the country, you know, not part of the playoffs. The HBCUs said, hey, you know, we don't want to be a part of this whole playoff system. Let's just do our own thing. So now they have the Celebration Bowl sponsored by Cricket. And this year we have Jackson State versus South Carolina State, the third ever meeting between these schools. I'm going with Jackson State. Yeah, same. Jackson State. Yeah, there's no reason for me not to take Jackson State here. I'm going Jackson State. The Tail Greeter Cure Bowl. No idea what Tail Greeter is. But free advertising for them now. I guess, well, not really free. They've had to pay a lot of money to get their name on this one. <laughs> but uh, Northern Illinois, the MAC champs up against Coastal Carolina. Should be a pretty fun one. I'm going with Coastal Carolina. I think CCU's been a lot more consistent uh, this year. But I've also seen what NIU can do when they're on. And so I'm going to go with the Huskies here. Hey, what do you know? Tail Greeter is a ticket-selling website. Uh, I'm going with Coastal in this one. Roofclaim.com, Boca Raton Bowl. Western you get Kentucky. to go to Boca Raton. Holy shit. I know. Western Kentucky up against Appalachian State. I'm taking App State all the way. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Uh, Western Kentucky... Actually, you know what? I, I am changing my mind here. I've seen Western Kentucky play in bowl games, and for whatever reason, they always seem to be more prepared than their opponent. And they just they have the BDT quarterback of the year. I'm going with Western Kentucky. Yeah, Ben, I agree with you, Doug. You gave me all these reasons why Bailey Zappi is fantastic and why that offensive line is fantastic. So I'm going to Western Kentucky here. I just think Appalachian State's going to outscore them. That's usually what happens in Western Kentucky this season. <laughs> that is saying something at this point. Uh, the next bowl game, <laughs> the PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl. I hate everything about this. The sponsor oh, and the state. Fresno State up against UTEP. The Miners certainly had a good run this season, one of their best seasons in recent memory for sure. But going up against a good Fresno State team here that did just lose their head coach, have to consider. Because of that, I'm going with UTEP. Fresno State has some insane talent on this roster, and that's why I'm going to go with Fresno State here. I, I really don't want to pick this bowl game because, like I said, I hate both PUBG and New Mexico. Uh, but I'm going to go Fresno State here. The Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl is UAB versus BYU. One of these teams is ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. That would be BYU. I'm also taking the Cougars in this one. Yeah, I'm going Cougars. I really want to take UAB, um, but I, 
I don't see them pulling this one out. I think BYU is going to be way more prepared, and they're just a better team to begin with anyway, so I'm going with BYU. Next up is the Lending Tree Bowl. Liberty against Eastern Michigan. This might be the last college game from Malik Willis, assuming that he does play. I'm looking forward to seeing that, and I'm picking Liberty. Yeah, I see no reason to not go with the Flint in this one, especially when they're playing Eastern Michigan. Uh, they haven't looked good pretty much all year. Liberty. Give me Malik Willis, Hugh Freeze, and the Liberty Flames. The Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl, first inaugural. Uh, Oregon State against Utah State in this one. This was kind of a toss-up for me. I think I'm going to go with Oregon State, though. Yeah, I want to I wanna go with the little guy. I want to go with Utah State here, but I don't know. The Beavers have just looked like a better team than they've gotten credit for all year. I'm going to go with Oregon State. Utah State has made a resume this year of winning games they absolutely should not win, uh, i.e. Air Force and uh, San Diego State in the Mountain West Championship game. I, I, I'm going to go with the underdog here. I'm going to take Utah State. The RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl has Louisiana up against Marshall. Man, Louisiana has had another incredible season, but again, lost their head coach, something to consider. I'm still going to take Louisiana in this one. They might have lost their head coach, but they basically have a home game. I'm going with the Raging Cajuns. I am taking this entirely to be different. All of the stats tell me that Louisiana should win, but I'm going to take Marshall so that we're all not agreeing for like the fourth time in this this set. It's also bowl games, so anything could happen, and Marshall's probably going to win now. Uh, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, Old Dominion against Tulsa. I think I'm going to take Tulsa here. Yeah, I agree. I, I watched them play. Their record early in the season was very deceiving. Uh, they're a much better team than how they started, and they were able to show it down the stretch, get bowl eligible, and they get to go enjoy Myrtle Beach uh, and play a bowl game against Old Dominion that I think they're going to win. I I don't think Myrtle Beach is as fun in the middle of December as it is in March, but uh, I'm going to go with Old Dominion here. Why not? Give him a bowling. I'd much rather be at Myrtle Beach right now than like Lake Erie or something. That's fair. There's that. Uh, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, one of the bowls that I dissed by name earlier. Uh, Kent State against Wyoming in this one. I would rather be at Myrtle Beach than Idaho. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to take Kent State here. Um, I took them in the MAC championship as well. They let me down. But I still kind of believe in this offense for no good reason. I'm taking Kent State. Man. Yeah, Kent State has not been what we were kind of promised they would be. Uh, and so I'm going to go with Wyoming here. There is something in my being that does not let me pick Wyoming. They also have not been what they've been billed for this year. Uh, they almost dropped one to Montana early in the season. Uh, I'm going to go Kent State. I mean, Washington dropped one to a Montana school. That's not as bad as it sounds. Yeah, but that Montana school is at least in the final four for the FCS. Fair enough. 
uh, the last bowl game we're going to talk about on this episode, the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. Jesus Christ. Terrible. Um, UTSA versus San Diego State. Probably the best game of the bunch out of these games, honestly. By far. This ought to be a fantastic one. I'm going to take San Diego State here. Man, I've been in love with UTSA and what Trailer's been able to do there. I've got to go with UTSA. I, I'm i going to go with San Diego State here. San Diego State has a lot more experience in bowl games. This is a different one. Every year is different. Uh, but the atmosphere, generally speaking, is about the same. I'm going to go San Diego State. And that does it for our picks. This episode, we'll keep that rolling all through bowl season. Keep a running tally for you as well. But we're all starting 0-0. Zero, zero. A couple of FCS playoff games left on the slate. We are down to the semifinals. North Dakota State versus JMU. South Dakota State versus Montana State. Basically three traditional powers plus Montana State here. Uh, I know we're not officially doing picks here, but I am pulling very hard for Missouri Valley Championship game. I hope North Dakota State, South Dakota State pull it out. North Dakota Marker Championship game, that just sounds fantastic. That's something everybody's kind of been hoping for for a few years, and now the chance for it to actually happen, I just, I don't know, I have this weird feeling that JMU or uh, Montana State's going to screw it up. Well, Montana State, it's a valid concern. JMU, like Doug said, is a traditional power. And Montana State has also made a name for itself this year for winning games it absolutely should not. Especially their dismantling, as you wrote here, of Sam Houston last week. That's the best word to describe it, man. That was unreal what they did to Sam Houston. When I looked at the scores uh, earlier in the week, I could not believe my eyes when I saw right. what they did to Sam Houston. And I, and I, check a couple of sources because it might have been a typo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I'll say it too, you know, going into the championship game last year, I was like, man, what where's Sam Houston really come from? You know, it's it's not one of those teams you're typically talking about when you're talking about FCS football. But you know, they were able to follow up what they did in the spring, in the fall here. And so I was like, okay, there, what did Montana State do to pull this one off? Like, this is this isn't an upset. This is just this is unreal. <laughs> Man, almost like a 2018 happening in West Lafayette that I don't talk about much. <laughs> He's talking about when uh, Purdue beat Ohio State. Yes, I, I know. I figured that one out. So <laughs> that's enough talking about college before I hurt my own feelings. Let's go ahead. Why and you jump. hurt mine freely? Well, you deserve it. So do you. Maybe I do, but I'm also the one running the show, so I get to make most of the jabs. <laughs> Just how it goes. <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump in the NFL here. Uh, a couple of games to pick and a couple of players to watch out for. Who wants to go first? I'll take mine first because mine has absolutely no business being a game this year. But then again, like a quarter of the NFL is in COVID protocols, and most of those players happen to play for the Rams. Uh, so I'm taking Seattle going to Los Angeles. 
the only reason this game is really interesting is because half of the Rams team is going to be in COVID protocols. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking Seattle at L.A. You want to talk about a game that has no business being a game to watch. I'm taking Panthers at Bills. But a lot of that is because, you know, when Cam Newton came back, the team looked different. They looked lively. CMC's gotten hurt since then, but Shuba Hubbard's been fine. Cam Newton just hasn't been performing well, and it's been affecting the Panthers as a whole. The Bills, on the other hand, have really picked up since about that time Cam Newton came back, completely unrelated, just similar timeline here. And they're looking like the team everybody thought they would be uh, to start the season. And I know, much like the Chiefs, they had kind of a rocky start. There were some questions being raised. And now they've got the problem that the Patriots seem to be back. What I'm looking at for this one, though, is will the Panthers be able to get something going again? Because I, I don't have any doubts that Buffalo's going to be fine. I'm more watching this one to see where the Panthers continue their trajectory. Is it going to go down? Are they going to rebound here? What's going to happen here? I don't know. I'll, this might be a great game. might be an awful game. But I think there's enough of a storyline here that it's, it's worth taking a look at. If anybody wanted an awful game, I picked one there for you, fresh off the line. I was really wanting to take Chargers Chiefs, but it turns out that's the Thursday night action, so couldn't really do that. Went to overtime, by the way. Fantastic game. Um, well, aside from one thing. Right. Houston at Jacksonville just screams all sorts of intrigue. Not only with Urban Meyer getting fired, but also, this is a potential decider who gets the number two overall pick or who would be in line to be number one overall if the Lions find a way to win another game here. It should be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> kind of what makes it exciting, though. It is a division game, so that's sad. Got two of these this year. Um, why not? Take the one in Jacksonville. Right after the coaching change, let's see what the interim guy can do. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and start us off with our picks here. I'm going to take the Texans in that one just because the Jags are a total mess. Um, I'm going to take the Panthers over the Bills because why not? The Bills are so up and down this season, it's unbelievable. They lost a game to the Jaguars. So I think anything's possible here. And I need to make up points somewhere. And you guys are both taking the Bills. Um, I'm also going to take Seattle. Mostly what you were talking about there, though, Bug, you know, the Rams have all these COVID issues. Seems like Seattle doesn't right now, knock on wood. We'll see what happens. But I think Seahawks are going to be the healthier team. I also need Seattle to win this one to make my preseason prediction even remotely possible where all of the NFC West makes the playoffs. <laughs> so I want to see that happen. I think the AFC North is more likely to do that this year than the NFC West, but you know, it's still technically possible. It's absolutely starting to look that way, right? All right, Bug, who you got, buddy? I'm going with the Bills here. I, like I said, I don't know that I would ever take the Panthers in this game, but yeah, the story behind what's going on with the team and that's why I want to take this one. Uh, then I'm going to take the Texans because they don't have the outside distraction of an awful head coach leaving. 
and then the Seahawks, man, there's so much missing from the Rams uh, because of COVID protocol. Between this game and the Browns game, I'm surprised the NFL isn't looking to postpone or cancel some of these games. I I know we haven't talked about it and we've avoided a lot of COVID talk, but I'm honestly kind of getting concerned, uh, not just with what's going on in the NFL, with what's going on in pro sports in general right now. And uh, we're going to get a real taste of what's going on with this on Sunday. This on Thursday, very possible that the Seattle Los Angeles game gets flexed. Very possible the uh, the Browns game gets flexed until later in the week or canceled completely. I would say well, Broncos forget. fans, Broncos fans right now are probably feeling a little bit vindicated if they don't get pushed. But we had to start Kendall Hinton at quarterback for a game. You guys can suffer through, right? And, and keep in mind too, the NFL had said earlier in the season uh, before it even started that if a game had to be canceled for COVID reasons. And you got to think it's going to hold true, especially this late in the year, that they would make the, the offending team forfeit. And that's something to keep in mind. Uh, I'm going to stray away a little bit from my picks written down here, guys. I am going to take the Bills. I think it's going to be a blowout time. You can be close. Uh, we're going, what, into our fourth game now with Cam Newton at the helm, and he's been replaced in two of them. Um. I'm going to take That's the Texans. That's exactly why I'm taking the Panthers, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to take the Texans here. They, uh, and they've been, Texans have been struggling, but the Jaguars have something else going on right now. And I don't know. I might want to deal with COVID before I deal with what Jacksonville's got going on. Um, I think that's the and, truth. Then, and then to finish it up, I'm going to switch my pick here. I am going to go LA. And uh, the reason I'm going in it, going with LA is as of time of recording, neither Cooper cup nor Matt Stafford are on the COVID list. They still have their offensive firepower uh, and they still have their defensive firepower too. So I, I I'm going to take the, the Rams in this one. I'm also switching my pick because I'm one pick behind bug and I need to make a move here. But Odell Beckham jr. Is going to be out. How could they possibly look that just hurts my fantasy team. <laughs> Probably helps the Rams' chances, honestly. <laughs> Teams are better without him in the lineup. Man, what a what a bad stat uh, for Odell Beckham Jr. Not for us. It's kind of an interesting stat for us. Anyway, players to watch. Um, pick it a tug first. Who you got, man? You got yourself muted. That's who you got. <laughs> that that I did. Um. I'm going a weird way with this one. I am taking Jalen Hurts, the quarterback in Philadelphia, who I feel like we haven't highlighted him too much this year. But look, Philly wants a chance to take a take a win away from the football team. Jalen Hurts needs to have a good game if that's going to happen. Uh, man, Jalen Hurts can get it done. I think he will, and I want to see him do it. So I'm watching Jalen Hurts this weekend. I'm going to take... The NFL's leading rusher, Jonathan Taylor. He's playing on Saturday. Kind of weird, playing against the Patriots. Um, we just saw how the Patriots were able to do with a completely running offense. You know, last week they won with Mac Jones only throwing three passes all game. Let's see if they can stop that same kind of offense, because I don't know how many passes the Colts are going to really try to throw here. Um, Jonathan Taylor 
is the leading rusher in the league for a reason. He's really good. So is this offensive line. Uh, it's not only because Derrick Henry's hurt. Jonathan Taylor was pushing him anyway. Uh, that's how good he is this season. So pretty awesome to watch and excited to see how he can hold up against this really impressive Patriots defense. Who would have thought Bill Belichick would have a successful team ever again? You know, un, you know, unfathomable. It was all Tom I Brady, hate, right? I hate the fact that we are entirely in the cycle for the Bill versus Brady Bowl. Oh, I yeah. absolutely hate that. And, oh, I hate everything about it. Fuck both of them. <laughs> okay. Who you got, Buck? So I was actually between two players, um, but I like the matchup more for Tyler Higby. He's another guy on the Rams roster that is not in COVID protocol, despite all the guys that are in there. And between him and Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford is still going to have guys that he can throw the ball to. He's – I don't really know how to classify him among – uh, tight ends. He's definitely not in that first team. It'll Gronk, uh, Kelsey. I, I, I put Higby in the Mark Andrews, T.J. Hawkinson range. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got to be in that next level there. And with Stafford, I think he's been able to elevate himself to that level. He could potentially go even higher uh, after playing with him for more than just this season. So. Curious to see what he's able to do this week, because I imagine he's going to have a bigger role in the offense this week. Would certainly have to think so, with basically every other weapon on that team being out with COVID. So, <laughs> rooting for Tyler Higby for sure. A um, couple of interesting games this weekend for the NFL. A couple of Saturday games as well. We'll see how that how that performs for them. I'm sure they'll dominate all the ratings as they always do. So, you know, it's the NFL. They can kind of do whatever they want. It's almost like college football doesn't take up all of your Saturday. Now the NFL wants that slot. People are still itching for football. Crazy. Oh, I mean, they're going to do it during the playoffs anyway. So just get you warmed up. But I think that's going to do it for our game previews, gentlemen, unless anybody has anything else to add. That's all I got. That's all I got. Sounds like a no to me. Let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Wow. What a podcast. (laughs) Not great, just it was a podcast that happened. (laughs) Facts. Now that right there was a podcast. (laughs) Oh my God. We get a Ben Dad joke today. Oh boy. Oh, boy, before, before we get there, uh, we got to shout out some links. They'll also be in the description, but, Tug, you want to go ahead and tell people where they can reach us? As I always love to do, you've got our Patreon.com slash BDTFootball, Twitter.com at BDTFootball, Facebook.com slash BDTFootball, Instagram.com underscore BDTFootball, BDTFootball.com. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> BDTFootball.com and mailbox at BDTFootball.com. Like Doug said, they will all be linked in the description below, especially since I cannot read right now. Uh, So if you have any questions, just look down there and they will be there. Fantastic. 
So I actually don't have a joke today. Um, this was a 100% true story of what happened to me, uh, kind of on the tail end of my moving and my trip to see my family. Um, we're sitting down, we're literally like about to walk out the house. My wife brings some food and, uh, yeah, you know, I know steak and shake's kind of a big thing in the Midwest, but for anybody that's not from America or from somewhere with a steak and shake, their fries are shoestring potato fries. And you guys have had water go down your windpipe, right? I mean, you know, take a drink, goes down the wrong pipe, stings a little mm-hmm. bit, you cough, and then you're fine. Well, I had that happen with a French fry, and I thought I was absolutely going to die. I could not for the life of me get it out. But then I remembered all that stuff's connected to your nasal passages. And I was like, oh, let me let me get it up there and see if I can just blow it out. So I did. And it hurt. And it was stuck up in my nose for a few days. Well, it stopped hurting after a couple of hours. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to survive. I'm, I'm going to make it through this. So this new house we move in has a gas stove, gas oven, all that fun stuff. And, you know, they always say, you know, if you have a gas leak, you'll be able to smell it. Well, all of a sudden, uh, we're at the house, and I'm blowing my nose. And every, it was only after I blew my nose, it would just smell awful, horrible. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, it it has to be something with me. Like, maybe it's the paper towels. Maybe it's you know, what I'm blowing my nose into, because there's no way that nobody else would be saying something about this smell. Like, it is, it is foul. But it was only right after I blew my nose. And, you know, the longer it went on, the more I'm like, well, maybe no, you know, maybe, like, there's no way my kids wouldn't say something about it. But, you know, maybe, maybe they're just not noticing it. Maybe it was just, you know, what they smelled when they walked into the house and they were so excited they didn't want to say anything. And so they're just, they're dealing with it, right? So I woke up this morning, same thing when I blew my nose. And I'm starting to get a little worried. Go to work, I blow my nose at work, and I smell it there too. And I'm like, okay, well, I feel a little better. Come home for lunch, and I blow out the rotting piece of French fry that was stuck in my nasal cavity. And sure enough, that's what it was. So if you ever have this happen to you, it is because the piece of potato that has shoved up in your nose is rotting and disintegrating from all of your mucus and your snot. And it is easily the most disgusting thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. And with that, thank you for listening to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. I wish we did not have to listen to that. I'm glad that you no longer smell it, but um, that is all the time we have on the show today. That, all right, actually, that is a perfect, perfect, you know, story, uh, anecdote for... He who smelt it, dealt it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we uh, dive into any more degeneracy, that is all the time we have on the show today. Thank you for listening. And just remember, you can't win a game if you can't win a train.